Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 833 with Chef Nicole Nocella. You should always invest in your employees because your employees is what makes your business go round. Um, without them, then you have nothing and you basically will not have a business. So, Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Yo, Unstoppables, I want to use this ad space to let you know about an affiliate relationship I have with the company Mies. Actually, Mies has been a past sponsor, but they've adopted this really great affiliate program, and I want to give it a shot. But here's the thing. I won't get credit for your referral unless you use my specific, special, unique Link and that link is getmes.com slash unstoppable. So if you listen to this ad and you want me's, make sure you use that link. And instead of actually uh, recording a new ad, I really like the first one I did with them. So I'm just gonna roll it and uh, let the ad work. It's magic. Here it is. Here are four reasons why you need me's in your restaurant. One, it's the most accurate recipe costing tool on the planet. Never again waste time trying to find yields and converting unit measures or creating extra sub recipes just to account for yield updates because Mies has a database of thousands of ingredients and prep actions with yields and conversions built right into the interface. So you get immediate output of your costs and your conversions. That's huge. Number two, you will train your staff the right way and save countless hours your team sees in real time updates of all the recipe content plus you can send notifications and answer questions directly through me's quickly and easily create slideshows with video and image so you can show your team exactly what they need when they need it here's the third reason why you need me's in your restaurant you will reduce waste and execute with consistency me's enables you to make precisely the amount of food you need and that's because every ingredient has automated unit conversions Tell Mies how many portions you want, watch your recipe scale automatically. Tell Mies how much yield you want, watch it scale automatically. You can even enter the amount of ingredients you have on hand and then watch the recipe scale automatically. Here's the fourth and final reason why you need Mies in your restaurant. It organizes and shares your content like never before. Mies is like Google Drive specifically for the culinary operation. Here's your call to action. Go to get Mies. That's M-E-E-Z dot com slash unstoppable and make sure you mention Restaurant Unstoppable when signing up to get three free months when you get the annual business plan. Get on it. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant on Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. 
Restaurant owners know it can be almost impossible to keep everything up to date, even making adjustments on your menu. And I know it's probably one of the most important marketing tools out there, if not the most important marketing tool. That's why I'm so happy to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. Pop Menu seriously is the full digital solution for independent restaurant owners. When you invest in Pop Menu, you get a dynamic interactive menu that hooks your customers from the start. And let me tell you, they really do love that review feature. You get a mobile-friendly website, and I cannot stress to you enough how many people miss the importance of a solid website. And you also get marketing and integrations to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. What are you waiting for? As you can see, Pop Menu gives restaurateurs all the tools they need to put the focus back on what matters the most, the people, and the food. Trust me, if you are a restaurant owner, you need to check out Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, my listeners get $100 off their first month plus an unchanging lifetime rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. What's going on, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but a quick reminder that this podcast needs your support. You can support our sponsors. You can use our affiliate links. You can share this thing with anybody you know, and you can leave a review, and that's something I don't ask enough of lately. Uh, head over on iTunes if you're listening to this, which the majority of my listeners are on iTunes. Uh, just leave a quick review. That goes so far, and uh, I would love to hear your feedback, and thank you in advance. So special thanks to Chef George Bazanson for calling out today's guest. And I'm really excited with how this approach of just my current guest calling out my future guest is working out. And it's organic. It's organic. It's organic. It's uh, it's raw. And I feel like it's just, it, it helps find people who otherwise, um, that's not true because they would be found by, I, feel, I don't know how to explain it. So I feel like I get quality people before anybody else does, because I think people in the industry specifically locally, like people know what's happening around them. Uh, restaurateurs at the top are paying attention to what other restaurateurs are doing. And there's a lot of respect being floated around the industry. And I think that by asking this question, I'm getting at the, the people that are just are going to be they're the, the future, you know, the, the, the futures, the, the leaders of the future are people who are just emerging as leaders now who are going to be even bigger leaders in the future. And I feel like our, our guest today, Chef Nicole Nicella is one of those people. Um, and I don't know, it just feels good to get at these people before anybody else does, because I'm not paying attention to the media. I'm listening to the industry. I'm, I'm giving the industry a voice and I'm I'm letting us organically find a way to, to, to make an example of awesome people. And uh, Nicole is absolutely one of those people. So Nicole is from Londonderry, New Hampshire. Uh, after graduating high school, she spent some time on the West Coast in California, maybe a year or two, and then she came back to the Northeast where she went to Le Cordon Bleu, Cambridge, and, and um, she spent the rest of her career there, thereafter in New Hampshire, uh, a little bit in the, the Nashua, Manchester area, and then she made her way to the East Coast so, sorry, the, the coast of New Hampshire, though, there's only one coast of New Hampshire and it's the East Coast. <laughs> uh, she um, was at 
surf for a little while, then surf sushi. And then she jumped over to a couple new restaurants that were opening the Martingale wharf and the, the Rosa. Uh, and then from there she got out of the kitchen and was behind the bar at federal cigar bar, uh, before joining the forces with row, row 34 and row 34. Um, I've had a lot of people on from that restaurant and it was, it's associated with the Garrett Harker restaurants, which I just recently found out a lot of those restaurants closed. It was super sad for me to hear that. Uh, but it's a really well run restaurant group. Uh, and then from there again, she joined another really well restaurant group. Uh, I don't even know what we call this restaurant group, but it's uh, the, the, the Jay McSherry family of restaurants. Uh, she was the executive chef at jumping Jay's fish cafe. And again, just, uh, she, she went to go work. She did exactly what I would tell people to do. Just go to work for the best, you know, and learn as much as you can and get that, get that reputation, get that master's degree and experience basically. And then if you do that, your, your odds of success are just so much, always so much greater. Uh, and she opened stock in, uh, 2020, just before COVID-19 hit. I think it was January of 2020, just before COVID-19 hit. And we get into like the details of how she survived that. Um, really great episode. I think you guys are going to enjoy this. And she actually called out her business partner. A little spoiler alert. So I'm going to be connecting with John real soon. And I love when I get um, to tell the story from two owners, not together, but separately to find out the dynamics there and how they support each other and, and their different perspectives of the story coming up. So that's coming at you too. So with no further ado, here it is chef Nicole Nichella. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, chef and co-founder of Stock Restaurant, Nicole Nacella. Nicole, are you feeling unstoppable today? Uh, yeah, sure. Yes, I cannot <laughs> wait to dive into your story, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Um, I kind of have two that I always stand by um, that's come to me throughout childhood and going through this career. Um, one from my godmother I learned a long time ago is, um, imperfection is perfection, um, which I really try to stand by when creating plates and plating and things like that. Um, and then one that's really dear to my heart, um, that my dad told me a very long time ago also is you invest in your people and not your business. Mm, yes. It's like, you know, my, uh, my soft spots. I love oh, it. Really? <laughs> so why, let's start with that, that second one. Why, why is it so important to invest in your people, not your business? Um, you should always invest in your employees because your employees is what makes your business go round. Um, without them, then you have nothing and you basically will not have a business. So. Business is just relationships. Yeah, absolutely. You got to recognize what it is at its core first and focus on what it is yeah. relationships and the kind of, the rest kind of falls in place right mm-hmm. and then why what is this focus on imperfection what, why, why is that near and dear to your heart um i feel like people are constantly struggling to be perfect or make perfect things or perfect products and honestly imperfection going through you know the mistakes and falling down and getting back up again like that is what perfection comes from yeah and i think we we hold off for so long to start because we feel like it needs to be a certain place, but we don't, we, it, it, it's going to change. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's good to know that from day one. So you just start. Yeah. Right? You want to be constantly evolving also. Yeah. So awesome. Got to roll with the ball. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Great way to get this started. Chef Nicole. Uh, so where does it make sense to start sharing your story? When did you know this was going to be your path? And actually, before we get into that, I almost forgot to give a little nod to chef George Bazanson for calling you out. Uh, that's why you're here. That's how I found you. So, 
Thank you, chef. And now where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Oh God. Um, I've been working in kitchen since I was 12. Um, it's pretty much the only thing I've ever done. Um, and I love it. Uh, when I found out that I was going to do it forever, uh, I was probably when I was 18 and I moved to California. Um, and that was my first job that I became a manager. Okay. And I realized how much I liked to manage a crew and I feel like I'm good at it and I am able to create strong relationships with my employees. Um, and I think that's kind of where I thrive. I enjoy creating those relationships and being very close with my team. So I love that. And I love the emphasis again on relationships. I didn't even know you were in California in my research. I saw that your first post college uh, job was Ignite Bar and Grill. Wow, this you've before? done your homework. Hey, LinkedIn is a great tool. You <laughs> yeah, know? it's crazy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't take all the credit. But LinkedIn is super helpful. So was this before or after Le Cordon Bleu? Uh, this was before. Okay. So I uh, left high school and I moved to California for about three years. Okay. Um, and then I moved back here to go to school at Le Cordon Bleu. What was calling you to California? Uh, my first marriage. <laughs> okay. That's a good reason. That's a good calling, I guess. Um, so where does it make sense? So I guess, w- were there any key mentors at this point that kind of like helped you really commit to this career that are worth bringing to the service? Key lessons? Um, no, not everything kind of fell together after college, really. Okay. Um, college was quick. It was only 15 months and that's three months of your externship. Um, but it was in Boston and that taught me a lot and I went through a lot at that time in my life. But, um, yeah, no one beforehand that I would really say brought me to go to college. So it was your time in California (laughs) when you mentioned it was the relationships that really drew you to this, 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 uh, industry. Right. Mm -hmm. And was there a moment where you're like, I'm going to go, like, I'm going to go to school for this. This is what I want to do. Um, yeah, a lot of it was, you know, my dad wanted me to go to college and, I was never really good at school. I hear that. <laughs> um, you know, it was never really my thing, but I knew I was good at working mm-hmm. and I'm good at, and you know, it kind of fell in. It's like, I've been doing this my whole adolescence and I thought I was good at it and why not make a real career out of it? Did you have like learning disabilities or was it just like, like no, like desire to be good at school? Like what was going on with that? Um, definitely disabilities. I'm dyslexic. Like really. me too. <laughs> yeah. To Swear the to point God. where it's like embarrassing. I, I asked because this industry, I feel like there's, um, this industry attracts a lot of people, especially with dyslexia or people mm-hmm. who have ADHD, oh, yeah. but who are, might not be cut out for the traditional school scene or standardized school as we know it. Yeah. But for some reason they excel so well in the food and beverage industry. Yeah. And there's definitely a trend. I, I'm curious what your thoughts are. I don't know if you have any thoughts. Um, I definitely think it's like, uh, book smarts against street smarts. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't consider myself really book smart. Um, what but, do you mean by book smart versus street smart? Um, like, I don't know the stuff you learn in high school. <laughs> yeah. Like, like technical detailed, like rogue memory, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Like writing an essay, like, I would probably take me a lot longer than someone who's really book smart. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I would say like IQ versus EQ. Yeah. Like intelligence, like, in, like what, like your traditional IQ, like how much can you memorize? Like mm-hmm. what can you, like, like they're traditional and then street smart, like emotional intelligence relationships. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so were you always really great with relationships? Were you like a social butterfly in high school? Uh, yeah, I was definitely the person that bounced between all the little cliques and the groups. I was never like in one group. Um, I grew up in a household full of people. (laughs) Um, 
my dad could tell you that story. Um, yeah, I've always been a person that's had a group of people around me, and I don't know. It's just who I am. I love that. So I think I, I don't know if I'd let you fully answer that question is what it is about this industry that attracts people like that. I don't know. We're definitely an industry of people who've been through things, um, delinquents, if you want to yeah. say. Um, I don't know. It makes it takes a really strong person to be in this industry. Mm-hmm. And if you come from a life that's kind of been sheltered and, you, you know, haven't really been out on the streets and yeah. done some things, um, this could break you for, for sure. sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So you make the choice that um, I'm assuming that things went south with your previous marriage. Yes. Is that why you came back to the Northeast? Uh, yeah, basically. Um, and I really wanted to be home with my dad and going to college was really, really important for him and Mm me. Um, so moving back home, we actually drove across country. It was one of, that was a great trip. I loved doing that with my dad. Everyone should drive across this country. Yeah, it really should. (laughs) For sure. Uh, so when you came back, were you, were you like all lined up to go back to school or was it something, a decision you made once you got here? Uh, I was pretty much lined up. Um, I knew that I wanted to go to culinary school and Le Cordon Bleu at the time was in, um, Cambridge, Mass. So it was closest to timestamp us. Time stamp this for us. Thank you. Um, 2008, 2009? 2008 makes, yes, because I was in a car accident. So 2008. Okay. Um, yeah. And I lived in London, Derry, New Hampshire, Got so it. a lot closer. And I drove there every day. Okay. And I went to school at night. So it was like, I think it was like 6 p.m. to like midnight. Yeah. This is a hot topic. Knowing what you know now, do you still think you would have went to culinary school? Um, no. Why not? <laughs> um, I learned things, but I learned more on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, it got me to where I was because, like, my externship and things like that. Where was your externship? Um, it was at the Hilton Hotel, but the restaurant was called Sydney's. Okay. Um, I was there for, like, six months, I think. Um, I, did, I went past my three months. Um, but, yeah, some crazy things happened there, and I decided to leave, and I stayed closer to home and that's when I started working in New Hampshire. Okay. Um, so was there, you said it helped you with that first job, but beyond that, were there network or connections you made at that first job that, that kind of set you up or not that I still have today? Honestly, um, I have friends that I still kind of t- speak with, but that whole part of my life has been very gone. Yeah. And I, I think I kind of agree with you with that idea that like you can learn so much on the job. And I feel like there's this unnecessary pressure on students to go to college. I think it's a generational thing. I think that's why your your dad was probably so adamant. I think at a point in time, it it was absolutely necessary Mm -hmm. because that's how you network. That's how you built your relationships, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's the most that you get out of a traditional culinary degree today is developing those relationships. But most young people don't take advantage of those relationships. (laughs) So it's kind of like a, it's like a mute point. But anyway, um, so bring us back to, is it worth getting into like what happened, like what not to do, why things didn't end well at the Hilton? Um, uh, it was definitely um, a learning point for me for being a woman in this industry um, and trying to be a strong person independently and individually. Um, but yeah, I, I learned a lot there because it was a big kitchen um, and, you know, being in Boston, um, you know, driving late home by yourself and all those crazy things. Um, 
But in all, all in all, I would do it again. Like, I would work that job. I just wish, you know, I don't know, that I had ended in a different way. Do you have thoughts on being a woman in the industry that are worth sharing? Or should we maybe shelf that for the, the deeper <laughs> stuff later on? Maybe after you loosen up a little bit. Stuff. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. Uh, so take us through, like, your, your state of mind. You, you're, you're out of the city. You want to go back up to New Hampshire. Are you just looking to take any job? Do you have a strategy in place? Like, take us to that place you were back in like 2009 when you're starting your career, you graduate. What's going through your mind? Um, I just wanted to work as much as possible. Okay, um, smart. Yeah, I was definitely working two jobs. Um, I was uh, at Ignite. That was my first sous chef job. Um, and then I was working at the sub shop that started it all for me, really, as a kid. So nice. I was worked there for a couple hours in the morning because the owner is a good friend of mine. Um, and then I was at, at night at night and um, ignite at night. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was, you know, classic, like 14, 15 hour days. Yep. You're young. Work while you're young. Like, get it do in it there. Do it while you can. <laughs> Absolutely. Can. Get that experience. And I think that's when if you were to bypass that say, say if you went to a traditional two-year or four-year school, mm-hmm. that's two years, four years that you can be out networking, yeah. getting experience. I think you get a pass at that age too, you know, like people know. So I don't know. I don't need to digress, but um, go to like 30,000 feet real quick mm-hmm. and kind of give us like, don't spend more than like 20 seconds on each spot you were at, but like really kind of give us like the aerial view of the path you took and where you think you grew the most. And then we'll kind of dissect it. Okay. Um, yeah. So Ignite was my first job after my um, externship, and then I went to surf in Nashua, and um, that was a huge turning point for me. Nashua surf Nashua is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, being part of the Michael Timothy Dining Group, um, that's where I met my husband today, um, and it's grown from there. Uh, they actually moved us to Portsmouth. Um, so my husband could get promoted to sous chef in Portsmouth. Okay. Um, that's when I started at, um, surf sushi, the Mm -hmm. part that doesn't really exist anymore. Um, and then I moved from there and I went to Martingale Wharf and I was a sous chef there that led me to the Rosa. I was the executive chef there. First executive chef role. Yes. That was my first executive chef role. Um, hated that job. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll save it. We'll save it. Um, and then I actually took a little hiatus and, um, op- helped open, um, federal cigar bar in downtown Portsmouth, which was totally different. I was a bartender and there's no food there. I did about a year there. And then I heard that row 34 was coming to Portsmouth and I just emailed Boston and I told them my story and I had an interview like three days later and you, you emailed who? I just emailed Row 34 Boston. Oh, Boston. I thought you said Austin. I was like, who's Austin? Uh, okay. And then there was one more stop before opening stock. Um, jumping Jays. Okay. So I'm assuming that Row 34 is probably another huge, huge learning. I mean, because I've had a lot of their people on the show and they don't mess around. No, no. <laughs> uh, that job uh, made me the animal that I am today. All right. Awesome. I can't wait to kind of get into the evolution of it all. So back to... Um, I mean, I think it makes sense to spend a little, I mean, any big experiences at, at, at night, that was your first sous chef, your first like, you know, real culinary job, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not that making subs isn't a real job, but you no, know No, 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 absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I learned a lot about things that I would never want to do. 
Um, I'm a big believer in moving around and having new jobs in this industry. I'm not saying, you know, get a new job every six months. Typically, like, I have this unknown clock where, like, I get to, like, two, two and a half years, and then I'm like, okay, it's time for me to go somewhere else. Um, And I believe in that because no matter where you go, no matter how shitty the job might be or how good and it's taught you all these things, you're learning something. Mm -hmm. You're learning whether you would ever do that again or it's created you, made you a better person. Or what, whatever. Are, what are the things you would never do again that you were doing earlier on in your career? Um, it wasn't per se I was doing it. It was like the way the restaurant was ran or my boss or just things you see in this industry that you're like, I would never, ever do that. We don't have to name names because that's not what we're here to do. We're not in the spirit of calling people out, but we are in the spirit of of learning from our past and our history. So can you get specific uh, granular as scenarios without getting specific with who how deep do you want to go <laughs> i mean there's a lesson to be learned i'll, I'll pull back the layers um yeah uh, i've i've gone through quite a few things um yeah uh just to touch base on the whole like being a woman in this industry and um i'm also a very petite person i'm only five feet tall i'm, I'm you know 100 pounds soaking wet um so being little uh, being young um but being very like strong-willed um you know, sexual harassment is no joke and it does happen a lot in our industry. And that was something that I had to fight for a lot, long time with a lot of people and a lot of jobs. And, um, you know, it's made me who I am today. Um, I would never let that shit fly in my kitchen. Um, so the, the general gist I'm getting is that there was sexual harassment in this first job for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, what do we do to prevent that? I mean, maybe again, we can shelf some of this for later, but like, what is the culture that you, what have you learned today that you do differently to make sure that that doesn't happen? It's just as being a boss or an owner or a manager or chef, it's creating the environment for your employees to be in and to be happy in and feel safe in. um, want to come to work is a huge part of it. So, it's just making sure that you're employing the right people also. Um, you know, you wouldn't want to bring someone into your kitchen that seemed kind of like, you know, weird or could do something like that. Um, I would never want to employ someone like that. And everyone has their, you know, downfalls, but sexual harassment or rape or whatever obviously is not even. Yeah, it's, it's a weird conversation. I find myself like wanting to know more, but at the same time, I also want to respect you and your privacy. So it's a it's a, one of those tough conversations. Um, were, was it like a physical harassment, or was it just like words, or did somebody try to like? Uh, it was physical. Okay. Um, and it wasn't the only job either. Yeah. Um, actually, that was part of my externship, and that's why I had to leave. Um, what was it about? Or what is it about this industry? Or what was it about this industry? Because I do think we're making progress. In oh, this yes. Article, for sure. This is well over a decade Yeah. What, what was with the culture of the industry then that made this okay? Um, it's kind of like touching on saying having delinquents around. Like, you know, we're all people that have come from different parts of life. And um, some people are still kind of in that part of their lives. You know, drugs are huge in this industry. Um, alcohol is huge in this industry and that will constantly be a fight anywhere in the world, honestly. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's like I said, just having the right people supporting your business and having them, you know, be in your restaurant for the right reasons. 
I think we can probably shelf it from there, but I do think we can probably unpackage a little bit more later. Cause as I, I like to spend some time talking about where we are now and what the future should look like. So I think that's a good conversation to have later. Uh, so you did say you grew a lot at surf. Um, how did you find this opportunity? Why surf? What was going through your mind when this opportunity presented itself? Um, I was never the kind of person to like try to find a job like on Craigslist. I just knock on doors with mm. my resume. Um, and that's what it was. I, I knew that I was going to leave Ignite and I wanted a job right away. And I just ended up in Nashua, which I never really went to and, um, just knocked on Surf's door and Michael Timothy was actually there, which was unusual. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was, I think my first day was the next day. So you spent two years here, right? Um, in, in Nashua? Yeah. Yes. And you said, that, I don't, can't remember the, the exact words you used, but you said that this really helped kind of, this was a big transformative time for you. Mm-hmm. In what ways do you think you evolved as a, a chef or cook? Um, I think the big part of surf for me was the first time that a boss had actually announced how much he believed in me and um, saw so much potential. And um, Michael would call me his little chef sometimes. And he was just like, kind of like a fatherly figure in that way. Cause I was so young and just starting out really. And, and, um, you know, that was my first job where like I constantly would work any station. I was, you know, jack of all trades. Um, I started cut, cutting proteins at that job. Like that was where I started to do chefly duties because, they believed in me. Yeah. Let's get more into how chef Michael Timothy made you feel. Cause I think this is huge. Um, and I think it's a, something that we don't understand fully how much power we have mm-hmm. when recognizing and seeing someone. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, what did you learn about that, that, that whole act of, of if you see somebody who has what it takes, mm-hmm. they have talent, just letting them know, like wh- how significant was that to you? Like, would you be where you are today if you didn't have that person kind of, I'd help you identify your, your value. Oh, absolutely not. Definitely. You know, a pat on the back goes a long way for anybody in any situation. Um, so, you know, Michael first time like voicing this to me was like, Oh wow. Like, (laughs) okay, cool. And you know, you kind of just go with it. And, um, another chef that I met there is Justin Lyonnaise, who I would say is a huge time mentor to me. Um, he's the man who truly, truly believed in me and told me that after a while that I had to move on and learn more somewhere else. Why? What was his, what was his argument? That I had more potential to learn and blossom elsewhere. And it's not that, like I needed to leave surf, but this is where I learned like when you change jobs, you learn more things. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not that I was done learning there. That's not the case at all, but I had room to grow and I never had a title there. I was never a sous chef with surf. Um, and I wanted that. I was hungry for it and I was, it was time for me. So, so you were with surf from 2010 to 2012, but you also did surf sushi. So, Did you leave to go get experience and then come back for surf su- no. sushi? No. So I was at Surf Nashua and then they moved us to Portsmouth. And then I think I left sushi in 2013. Sounds about right. Is, and Surf Sushi was in Portsmouth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were connected, um, but they were separate restaurants. And now it's just a, like a venue where they hold weddings and stuff. Um, and the sushi part of it's in the actual surf restaurant. Um, so I was there when they were separate entities, got but it. the same business. Um, and my husband got promoted to executive chef. So it was also like letting him like 
this is your gem, you know, kind of thing. Um, so, um, and then I went to Martin Gilworth and that's when I became a sous chef there. Got it. So, um, I mean, I think the, the big thing that we identified was one, uh, absolutely. If you, I mean, you received this, but if you're in a leadership role and you see somebody who has it, let them know. Because mm-hmm. we're not self-aware, especially when we're younger. We need to be told what we're good at. Yeah. It's so, it's, it, you can change someone's life mm-hmm. if you reinforce their strengths, right? And then the second part is, yeah, absolutely get that experience. Like, I think, but what is, what in your opinion, is a good time to work in one place before going to another place? Say that again? Because like, you don't want to jump around too much, yeah. too fast, right? Yeah, There's yeah. a balance you got to find. So what is that a balance for you? Um, it's basically realizing, um, I don't know how to put this in the best way. Cause like I said, you always continue to learn every day. Right. Um, it's kind of also like, have I given everything I can give to this place for now? And is there another step for me? And is it here? Am I going to get this step? And if so, is it in a timely manner? Like I'm not going to sit around forever and being told, you know, it's, it's coming, it's coming and it's, it's not, um, so I feel like it's realizing, have you gotten everything you can get out of it in that time frame? Yeah. Um, I've been told a minimum of one year. Yes. And I think more than two years at that point, you're, you're almost hurting yourself. Right. Yep. But at least one year, cause if you jump around too fast, you're going to develop a reputation. Mm-hmm. Right. And you have to remember people are investing in you because oh, they're giving you that knowledge. Yep. You should pay them back. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, awesome stuff. So, um, any, I mean, you said any other big lessons working for sort of how they do things culturally, operations, uh, things that they did differently. That was the first time that you experienced doing things like this. That were habits that you stick that you have till this day. Like anything like that before moving um, on. Surf was my first restaurant that had a lot of systems in place. Mm. Um, operationally, they they are awesome. And, yeah. You know, um, surf. Portsmouth is a huge restaurant, and there's so many heads in that kitchen and two different shifts in and out and the functionality of it is very impressive and yeah. I learned a lot from that. What were the key systems that were new to you at this point? Um, I don't really know per se. Like all, all the recipes and um, everything, like their recipes had pictures. <laughs> we uh, laugh, but that's, that's it's, huge. It's a picture's huge worth a thousand words. Because right? everyone learns differently too. Yep. So the one person who isn't a good reader per se um, seeing a picture might show them a lot more than just reading a recipe. Um, so little things like that, um, you know, very clean restaurant, um, putting in systems of like deep cleaning each day has a, a, a different job, making sure it gets done. Um, and then there are managers. They always had a lot of managers, um, and they were always good ones. Okay. And not just cause it was my husband. So clean ma- <laughs> the, the significance of managers. I kind of want to pull back some more layers and systems for able to, um, because this is something I actually get a lot of requests from listeners so to go deeper on this stuff to like really kind of pull back. So when you say recipe systems, mm-hmm. um, what does that look like? Um, like, well, uh, typically a, a recipe, right? has like ingredients and then it has a mop, a method of, per- um, is that an acronym? MOP? Yeah, MOP. Why can I think I love of that. that. Um, <laughs> preparation. Okay. Yeah, method of preparation. Got it. Um, which we call it MOP. Um, so just having all those things in systems and then, you know, having binders for like different uh, stations and things like that. Um, so you're not going through like one thing flipping for pages and pages and pages. Like it's actually broken down nicely for you. It's neat. It's clean. Um, it's constantly updated. 
um, it goes a long way yeah. than having scribbled things all over the place. Yeah. And you didn't mention the photo too. And I think the other thing that that does that we didn't really bring to the surface is when you have a photo of something done, mm-hmm. what it looks like when it's done, then there's no question of what the right way is. Yeah, right. Exactly. I think that's the other big thing too. Um, I, I have to take a, a moment to plug an affiliate right now because yeah, have you heard of Mies? The company Mies, Get Mies. No. It's, it does exactly what you're explaining, but it's digitized. It's like Evernote for chefs. Oh, cool. And they actually they have spots for photos of the food, but also video tutorials on how to do certain parts of a recipe yeah. and costing and scaling recipes. So it's oh, a wow. very powerful tool. Um, GetMies.com slash unstoppable. Uh, I would be telling you about this even if they weren't an affiliate. <laughs> I, I promise you that. And uh, you are supporting the show if you use that link. You want to learn more. All right. Moving on. Um, what about the significance of management. Well, what do you mean by that? Like how was, did they put more emphasis on management and how so? Um, yeah. And there was always someone around, um, if not two. Okay. Um, they always have like four front of the house managers. Um, they, and then chefs, there's like three or four sous chefs and then executive chef. And then Michael, who's like not really there per se, but like in and out all the time. He's always, at arm's reach, basically, or a phone call away. Um, so having that presence around is kind of, I don't know, eye-opening, at least for me at that age. Why is presence so important? Um, people like to know that their boss is available, first off, and also in, in the trenches with you, too, if they have to be. Um, you know, being myself, I do any job that is asked of me, and that's that's the whole point of being a chef owner. You can't expect anybody to do something that you're not willing to do Absolutely. yourself, right? I love that. Uh, I think we can move on to um, surf sushi, unless everything that you dropped on us is kind of all encapsulated. That's all encapsulated. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, so why did you make the, the move to the Martingale Wharf? Um, honestly, a sous chef title. Um, that was kind of Justin Lyonnais saying, seeing in me that I had more and that I could do more. Um, and at that moment in time, a title wasn't available for me and it was time to move on. So I actually went to Mambo for like a hot minute and then, um, Matthew Preventure, the executive chef of Martingale Wharf reached out to me and wanted to speak and within probably three, three weeks I was there. Yeah. I think that's a, you bring up a really subtle point there that, um, if your restaurant doesn't have opportunity for people, yes, they're going to find it someplace else. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the, the governor that helps you di- dictate when it's time to scale Yeah, is when you have your, when you have your, your number one spot filled, your number two spot filled, and then you got people to the number three, number four deep, and you know that they're looking for opportunity. That's your that's your your key your 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 trigger to go. Where can I open another restaurant? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think? It sounds like you agree with that. Oh, absolutely. Um, so even as a business owner, like if you can't create that spot or that opportunity, you have to understand that people will go elsewhere. Yeah, and I think this is something that a future uh, employer of yours does really well, Jay McSherry. Because he seems he's almost more of like a realtor first yes. restaurant tour second, but he started as a restaurant tour. But he he's all about finding opportunity and creating opportunity for others. Yeah. And I think we can shelf that, but a little teaser, right? Yeah, definitely. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, I've been I've had a, a lot of people on the show who've come through Jay McSherry. Oh, I bet. <laughs> so uh, it's really fascinating stuff. Um, so 
you had this great opportunity to, to have a, a sous chef role. Um, the Martin Gale Wharf reaches out to you. Uh, take it from there. I'm sorry. Say it again. The Martin Gale Wharf reaches out to you. Uh, they offer you a position. Yeah. Um, what was, how was this? Was this a different experience? What was going on here? Oh my God. Martin Gale Wharf. Um, that restaurant is insane. Um, they have, I think it was like 350 seats. Um, my, huge. It's Waterfront, huge. beautiful. Waterfront, um, massive kitchen, uh, probably like 20 heads in there at, at all times. Yeah. Um, I, so I started there as sous chef. Um, I met great friends there that I still speak to today. Um, and I guess that's kind of like where my networking as um, a boss started. And, you know, when I need a dishwasher here at Stock, I'm still texting people that I know from Martin Gale Wharf. Like, you know, you got you to gotta resource anywhere and everywhere. So um, that was probably the beginning of my networking with my employees. So was Martin Gale Wharf different? And I don't, I'm, I'm from the Portsmouth area and I travel okay. all over the country to do this podcast, but it's not every day that I get to talk about an area that I'm somewhat familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, Martin Gale Wharf, correct me if I'm wrong, and La Rosa, same owners, correct? Yes. They weren't operating partners though. Yes. It, they it, were investors. Yeah. So it was technically it's four people, but let's say three. Um, and also, once again, their success does not come from restaurants at first. It's from other things. Um, so opening a restaurant was kind of more like a hobby, I guess, per se, for the owners. Um, so that's also a learning point, too, is... Work- so that's the, yeah, that's the key dynamic I'm interested yeah. in. But keep going. Working for, working for a chef owner is much different than working for an owner that's not a chef. Yeah, or at least even worked in the industry, really. Because you're working with Tim, um, or sorry, Michael uh, Timothy at, at this point. He was a, a chef owner. You know, yes, he started at one restaurant, scaled multiple mm-hmm. restaurants. But he, you said the day you knocked on the door, he was there. Yeah, right? exactly. So it's a little bit different from what you're going to. So how was it different? Better, worse? Like, what was uh, it like? Um, Martin Gale and the Rosa was my first glimpse into P&Ls and paperwork and numbers and, you know, profits and all of that. And um, the owner, actually, we would have monthly meetings, P&L meetings, uh, profit and loss. Um, so being a part of that for the first time was like, whoa, like it's kind of mind blowing for the first time to realize like how much revenue a restaurant can make, um, or how much it can lose Mm -hmm. and, you know, learning the prices of everything. Um, it's opening. Where were you most surprised regarding where money can be lost? Linen. (laughs) Yeah. Huge expense. Um, Yeah, it's a huge expense. And, uh, you know, your line cooks don't really think about that because, of course, they don't have to. Um, But when you realize how much a kitchen towel, how much that costs you to launder it, and at the end of the night, you're looking at a hamper that's, you know, half dirty towels (laughs) and, yeah, overflowing and people are throwing clean towels into the hamper. It's like, whoa, okay. So it makes you think about things like that. And, um, Martingale and the Rosa was the beginning of me realizing just the, those small details that you don't typically get to think about as a line cook. What are some of the other big ticket items that people just don't consider that have huge impacts on bottom line? Um, well, obviously food waste is huge, yeah. but that's a whole other ball game. Um, you know, electricity, I'm huge on electricity. Yeah. Um, I'm always turning off lights, making sure everything's off. Um, you know, um, oil and gas and all that stuff, things that I have to think about on a regular basis now, Mm -hmm. um, really makes you 
realize where you can make it better or yeah, cheaper I, for I, yourself. Absolutely. I think you're starting to see too, especially over the past 10 years, I think the industry up to like 10 years ago got very reckless with spending mm-hmm. because it was just standards. Like you, like all these things like white linens for the tables, like linens off the wazoo. Yeah. And like now people are like, we don't need all this fancy yeah. stuff to de- deliver a great experience. We mm-hmm. can just have bare wooden tables and cutlery and, and like, that's all you really need. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think you're starting to see people like kind of shed unnecessary expenses that were standard in the past. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. What are the biggest things that you, you don't think we need that were standard in the past? If you can think of anything. Um, well, I guess for me, like the linen class, obviously, but that was also like the, the age, yeah. <laughs> not the eighties or the nineties anymore. Um, but like here at stock, we print in house, we print on paper and some people think, you know, that can be wasteful, but we use them as much as possible rather than outsourcing to a company to make a menus for us. Mm-hmm. Um, it also alleviates so I can change whenever I want yeah. kind of thing, um, which is the best part of my job. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know if something like really jumps out at me that has changed over the decade. Um, but you did also mention the significance of P and L's and um, bringing people into your P and L's. Um, I'm surprised that it took this long. And this isn't a, a hit on you; it's a hit on the industry that like we wait for people to get so far into their career before we start sharing these numbers with them. Yeah. But how did knowing these numbers affect you as a chef? Oh my god, immensely! It was it's huge. Um, you know, and not to speak on like other people, but I know other chefs that have been executive chefs for years and they still have never seen a PNL. Yeah. It's never been shared with them. And that's really up to the owner to, you know, allow them into that, that world basically. And, you know, with Martin Gale Wharf, it was taken very seriously. Like we were never allowed to leave with a sheet with us just so it was not floating around in the universe somewhere. And I respect that. Um, but for me, learning those numbers, it just made my game that much tighter. Like yeah. I, I just became a better chef. And you said you hit the nail on the head. You said game. And that's what numbers do. Mm-hmm. It gamifies the work yep. because you can start seeing how your efforts influence the numbers. And then it just becomes a game of doing better the next time. Yeah. Right. I'm always in competition with myself, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can bring your team in on it and yeah. then you can make like a team effort, a team mm-hmm. sport. Right. And it's so, so, so powerful. Um, why you said you, you get the sheet, but you don't leave with the sheet. What was the reason for not being able to leave with the sheet? Um, just so that information is just like, I think he was just worried about people knowing like how much profit he made or how much like, you know, loss he lost that month or whatever. Um, I think it's a little overkill, but, um, I agree. Um, and no like disrespect or anything, but I think that we think too much. We, our ego gets involved too much, but, and it can be so powerful when we just are so, but one of my goals, if I ever open a restaurant is that I want to do open book management to the world. I want to show everybody, including, my listeners and my guests, what we're spending money on so we can educate them on this is why it costs this much. Yeah. Right. I think we need to start teaching people. Mm -hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? If you want your team to be there for you and for your business, once again, invest in your employees, not your business. And that's part of it is making them a part of all of that and understanding what you go through mentally every day. Um, so if they're on the same, you know, ball field as you, then your team is only stronger and your restaurant's only going to get better. I love it. Um, so you, you get the opportunity, uh, after spending, what was it? Four months with the Martingale Wharf 
after uh, this is what LinkedIn said, by the way, 2013 <laughs> to 2014, you were at La Rosa. Yeah. So were they grooming you at the, the wharf to move on to La Rosa? Was that the plan? It's La Rosa. La just, Rosa. Just so you know. What was I saying before? I think you're saying La, but. The La Rosa. The Rosa. Sorry. It's La okay. Rosa. <laughs> um, no, actually, I was never supposed to go to La Rosa. Um, the, one of the sous chefs, uh, Mark and Gail, was supposed to go when it was finally going to be open, but unfortunately, he was terminated, and I was thrown into his position, and I really, really didn't want to do it. <laughs> um, but um, I was kind of like bedazzled by the new kitchen. It was brand new kitchen, brand new building restored. Um, so it was like, oh, that was my first time in a brand new kitchen. Um, even though I guess Martin Gale was a brand new kitchen, but um, building is old as heck, right? What was it? It was, old. it was another restaurant. Before, it was the Rosa, the Rosa. And then they closed and then, uh, the owners of Martin Gale bought it, got it got and it. bought the name and everything because it's grandfathered into Portsmouth. Got it. So, um, yeah. And I was there, I don't think very long either. I think just over a year. Um, yeah. Any key differences from working like in a chef run Operation chef run, chef owned versus investor owned that you notice? Oh, there's huge difference. Um, Good or bad. And I'm not, we're not here to like, I don't know, call people out yeah. what's right or what's wrong, but from your perspective, you personally. Um, I guess it's just the passions lie differently. Um, typically, if a, a chef owned, like they're there to do the job and it's their food, it's their name on their menu. Um, so you want to make sure it's done right. And the food is typically the most important part, um, versus a person who's got money and invests in a new project of theirs that they think they can do. Um, it's, the passion is much different. It's all money oriented. It's, um, whether it's a good situation or not, it's, it's fueled differently. Yeah. I will say this about our industry. I think fiscal responsibility needs to become more of a core value Mm -hmm. because we just make it all about the food and the experience, but we hurt ourselves. Oh yeah. You know, and I think it's important that we, we understand how important it is that we are profitable, Mm -hmm. not just for ourselves, but for the people that we're employing who are responsible for, you know? So I think there is a balance between the two that we can probably strike. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. uh, anything else worth mentioning before kind of, and I, I know we're probably going to spend a little bit of time. I know you, you, you were away for, you went to the federal cigar. Mm-hmm. Um, was, were you maybe thinking you're going to take a step away from the kitchen? I didn't really know. Um, I didn't think that I would never be in a kitchen again or ever be a cook at all. Um, I was just kind of that up. Um, I was the executive there and I didn't have a sous chef for the longest time. And I was kind of told that I didn't need one. Um, so I was working seven days for a very long time. I was working 85 hours a week. Um, I was tired and, um, I feel like maybe I wasn't being treated very well. Um, so it was time for me to take a break. Federal Scarborough kind of just fell on my lap because a friend of mine had already worked there. Um, once again, it was a new business and, uh, you know, I've opened up, I've been part of opening crews of businesses six times. Wow. So stock is my first personal one, but it's my seventh time doing it. Um, and that in itself is eye-opening. Yeah. It's, it's huge. I like to say that running a restaurant is one thing. Mm-hmm. Opening a restaurant, completely different set of yeah. skills. Yeah, and if you, 
as a line cook or a chef, if you've never done it, I highly recommend yeah. doing it. So I saw the opportunity. It was a new thing. I was going to get to be part of this new crew um, and be a part of opening it. And I was like, let's just do this for now. Yeah. And I did it and it was fun. I learned how to bartend, um, which is great for me in this industry and being able to do whatever. Um, there's many times where I have to come out here and I can help make a drink. And, you know, if my bartender's weeded, like I'm able to do that for her yeah. or him. Um, so, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely different, you know, cigars. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, it's still very like palatable, you know, there's a lot of similarities with like the, you know, pairings and stuff like that Absolutely, with drinks. Yeah. And, um, but you said something that kind of struck a chord with me and that was that you didn't feel valued. Um, what would have had to happen in your opinion for you to have felt valued? What would you have had to get to feel better about that scenario? Um, to not feel like I was all on my own. Um, to be told that I could actually interview for sous chefs would have been great. Um, I know obviously that's constantly the battle in this industry is finding the right people and the right talent or finding talent at all. Um, but if I was allowed to at least do that process, I would have felt much more, um, supported. Awesome. Okay. So we haven't touched on row 34 and jumping J's, um, two, I mean, jumping J's greater J McSherry restaurants. What's, what are they, what's the official his reference like, for the family of restaurants. Um, I don't know if he has one. No, he must. I don't know why I'm spacing. McSherry Group. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, but that was that came after Row Thirty Four. So, yes. I mean, unless you you want to hover over the Federal Cigar Bar, nah. okay. Um, Row Thirty Four, uh, Garrett Harker Restaurant started mm-hmm. out of Boston. They've scaled to I think three or four locations. They also have Island Creek Oyster Bar. They also have Eastern Standard. They also Not have anymore. Op- Eastern Standard. Uh, ICOB and Eastern Standard no longer exist. Wow. And Garrett is no longer part of the group. Well, he's also ready to retire too, I would hope. Yeah, I think he's doing like um, uh, consulting. Good for him. Yeah, he opened, started a little company. and I. When think did that happen? Um, very much in the thick of COVID. Oh, man. Last year. Crazy. Things are constantly changing. Yeah, it's very, it's, it's, to know that Eastern Standard does not exist anymore is like it's a little heart-wrenching yeah you gotta have a tear for that so, yeah yeah um i mean we'll try to remember to link to these in the show notes i'm looking over at jared <laughs> these episodes garrett harker we also had J- jamie bisonette on the show bisonette oh. i think i said his name wrong the yep, first bisonette um i've had uh shore gregory on the show i've had oh, yeah, general managers <laughs> um so many people um on the show from row 34 and eastern standard that's really the biggest thing i learned from that group and maybe you can reinforce this is their their emphasis on education Oof, it's huge it is it's amazing get into what that looks like the the standard to which we can educate um so that was the huge thing for me there i would definitely say is the educational part of that business and what they provide for their employees and that's front of the house and back of the house um every day is like pre-meal is no joke you sit down everyone's involved um manuals and forms are written like it oyster tastings beer tastings wine tastings every day um, it's no joke and they don't, and they don't take it as a joke at all. So what happens though, when you put so much emphasis on education? Uh, you get a solid crew out of it yeah. for sure. Um, and you get people who are really passionate. If they're not willing to learn on a daily basis, they're not going to last there. Yeah. And I think on maybe unaware, like we're unaware of it, but like when you think about human needs mm-hmm. above 
being seen and being belonging to something right next to that is personal growth. Mm -hmm. So if you can tap into that human need, so people feel like they're growing not just your, your, your uh, inner guests, your, your employees, but your, your outer guests, your, the people that are coming, you're teaching them. That's, that's creating an experience. Absolutely. So like it's super powerful stuff. It can't be undervalued, but like, um, can you give it like, can you get a little more granular? Like what was the pre meal or the pre shift meeting like what was that structure like um it was always four thirty on the dot um we usually typically would taste something um so myself or our sous chef would bring out a, a dish or we would taste oysters um or we would you know drink some beer or wine you know the best way to start your shift yeah. um but yeah and like uh, meetings with um line cooks were always really important there um but pre-meal was it was at least 30 minutes long. Like it was, it was intense. And as a chef, you had to be prepared. Like you couldn't walk into pre-mail with nothing. Now was it one person presenting this stuff all the time or do they divide it up? Um, typically. So it would be myself or a sous chef there. Um, I was a CDC, um, cause it was chef owner. Um, Jeremy Sewell. Have you interviewed Jeremy Sewell? No, I haven't. You should do that one. Okay. Um, Jeremy's awesome. So he's a chef owner. Um, he's like the chef part of the business ship. Um, so you had to be ready. And in his eyes, if you weren't ready, then get the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> um, what did they teach you about what lessons did you learn about presenting a, a pre-meal that you didn't have going into this experience? Um, honestly, speaking skills. I learned a lot there. You're doing great. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's really made that part of me, um, a lot stronger, you know, being, you know, I feel like everyone struggles with anxiety, um, but definitely a, a huge thing for me. So talking to a, a large group of people and being confident and prepared um, is huge. And if I'm not prepared, like my anxiety will skyrocket. And mm-hmm. then it's very apparent that you're not you're not ready. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, so I always like to have my systems put in place. And I learned that from there. I love that. Mise en place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is also where you met Chef Greg, or sorry, George Bazanson. Yes, um, I hired George there shortly after we opened. And he put a lot of emphasis on how much you were just there for him during our interview and, oh. and how he had nothing but great things to say about you and just <laughs> how, you were, how you were there for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he got into his, his personal stuff too a little bit during our interview too, so I can say that. But like, what was, what was that scenario for you? Like, Were you just seeing an opportunity to have a great cook on your team or were you, was there a little bit of like a – because he was coming off of a, a long, hard, hard time. time. Yeah. yeah. So can you get into the significance of just being there for people? Um, yeah. So with George, his ex-wife is, was, or is, I don't know if she still is a server at surf okay. Portsmouth. So I had already known Liz. Gotcha. Liz reached out to me and said, Hey, my ex-husband is moving up to this area. He was running a restaurant in Manchester, um, but he's coming closer to the kids. And I was like, Oh great. Send him my way. And she just kind of mentioned like he's going through some hard times. He had just lost his dad. Um, and he was not the person I expected to walk through the door. That's for sure. What were you expecting? Um, well, <laughs> Liz is a very clean cut, beautiful woman and not that George isn't beautiful, but he's just covered in tattoos. I'd call him a handsome man. Yeah. He's very (laughs) handsome for sure, but just not the person you would expect to be married to Liz. Um, so definitely more my vibe kind of person. Um, but yeah, he walked through the door and I was actually working raw bar and he like came up to me and he's like, are you Nikki? And I'm like, yeah, that's me. And he was all about it. And yeah, he started like the next day. 
Okay. And just constantly, you know, just being there for your employees. What does that look like, though? I mean, really paint that picture of what it means to be there for somebody. Um, to show that you care about their personal lives and allowing them to feel comfortable enough to relay that to you. When, um, when one of my employees is in distress or having a hard time, I like to make sure they know on their own, like they can tell me as much as they want or they can tell me as little. You know, it's not my place to demand why you're not showing up to work today, but I would really like to be able to dive in on that with you. And if I can help you in any other way than not just being your boss, but being you know, a shoulder to cry on or someone to give you personal advice, um, you know, a, myself being a person who's gone through quite a few things, um, I would like people to know that they can rely on me in that manner. So is there a way you go about letting people know? Do you just say like straight up, like, hey, like if you ever need anything, if you ever need to talk, like I'm here. And then on the other side of that question, is there going too far? Is there getting too involved? And there's a the dachshund. Adorable dachshund yes. behind you right now. <laughs> he lives upstairs and it's so hard <laughs> it's like, not to It's like stare. you knew exactly <laughs> what I was staring at. That's so funny. Sorry. Keep, did, did you hear what I, the question was before I got distracted? No, now I'm distracted. <laughs> the, the question, there's like a puppy dachshund walking like across the street and that's what totally my ADD just like went into mm-hmm. hyperdrive. Um, so how do you let people know? Is there a way that you communicate to your staff that we're here? And also, how do you not take that too far and cross boundaries? Um, good question. Um, definitely voicing it and saying, Hey, I'm here for you. Like I'll help in any way, but also like being observant. And if you can observe that your employees disgruntled and not talking or upset to actually address it and pull them aside and be like, Hey, are you okay today? And you know, if tears start a running, then, you know, you got some big problems. Um, but like being observant to me personally and as a chef, is so key attunement to your team it right? really is and to when you see people who aren't observant it's almost a pet peeve of mine um i feel like it's ignorant um you should be able to know where your staff's at at all times no matter how big or small it is if you really want to be there for them as a manager and as a boss you should be able to see that yeah and how do you create those boundaries um crossing the line uh i guess just feeling the the situation out basically um i don't feel like anyone has ever for me personally told me too much where it was a burden or it wasn't okay um i've definitely had people completely break down on me and you know to the point where you get a little worried um you know how the rest of their day is going to go or are they going to show up to work tomorrow but allowing them to know that this is a safe place for them too and not just a job is a great way to know that they're going to come back. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm letting the interview go a little bit longer before taking the break to thank our sponsors. Typically what I do is I do that right before we get into opening your, your own place, mm-hmm. but you've only been open for a year now. So I, yeah. I, I know that I, I, you have such incredible experience leading up to this place. I, I want to really dissect that, but I think now is a great time to take our first break to thank our sponsors. And we'll be right back to unpackage why you left road 34, what you learned at uh jumping Jays and this whole journey that you're on now with Stock Restaurant. So we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most 
positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more, all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using like toast to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. What is one of the most overlooked and important marketing tools out there? It's your menu. And honestly, I cannot blame owners for overlooking their menu. It can be super tedious and boring work, let's be honest. Not to mention, it's time-consuming between all the other channels of marketing, i.e. social media, direct mail marketing, and managing your operations and customer relations. Who has the time to dink around with their menu? Not many people, right? So that's why I'm super excited to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. From the website to the marketing to the contactless ordering, Pop Menu is the full digital solution for your restaurant. Pop Menu also provides a dynamic mobile-friendly menu that hooks your customers from the start. And this is a really cool tool. Diners have the ability to leave dish reviews, which really helps your menu speak for itself. Beyond these engaging features, Pop Menu provides marketing tools to build long lasting relationships with your guests. For example, you have the power to send automated texts and emails to incentivize new orders or promote new dishes. You can even set up online ordering and delivery direct through Pop Menu. This means less ordering complications and loss commission to third-party apps. We all love that. Frankly speaking, when Pop Menu reached out to me to be a sponsor, I didn't know much about them. We all know my rules that I only promote the tools and services that are recommended on the show. So I had to reach out to my network to get their approval. And I have to tell you, the feedback has been nothing but positive. People really like the menu review feature, the email marketing integration, and the fast and friendly customer support, which cannot be overlooked. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month, plus you can lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and you had taken this up to the point where you were working with Row 34. Um, you were with them from 2015 to 2017 and left to join Jump and Jay's Fish. Mm-hmm. So what was going through your mind at this point? Um, I actually got very sick at Row oh, 34, and I um, ended up in the hospital for seven days. I had double pneumonia in both my lungs. Wow. My lungs were 90% full of liquid. Jeez. I had no idea. I was that sick. Um, I opened Raw Bar one morning on a Sunday, and I had almost fainted, and I, like, caught myself. So I went to the general manager, and I was like, I don't know if I should be here right now. I think I just almost fainted. I don't feel good. She's like, okay, take the day off. And uh, I was driving home, and I was like, maybe I'll go to urgent care. 
go to urgent care. I was there for like five minutes. They took x-rays and they're like, okay, we're calling you an ambulance. And I was like, what? Excuse me? And they're like, you need to go to the emergency room right now. Wow. I was like, no, 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 I will drive. (laughs) So (laughs) I drove myself, of course, because I'm stubborn. And uh, yeah, I ended up being there for seven days. That's crazy. Uh, What was, do they like tie it back to anything? Was it just overexertion? I was overexertion. Um, I probably had caught a cold and I just didn't treat it properly. I was working a lot at that point in time because we were understaffed. Um, So I came back to row 34. I've actually never told anybody this, Um, but Jeremy had sat me down, Jeremy Sewell, the chef owner, and had demoted me. He said that my health was very important and that maybe being the chef of the restaurant was a little too much for me at this point in time. Um, So for my ego... I couldn't do that. I could not still be there and be a line cook. Um, I had to move on. Do you agree? Uh, I agree. I understand where he was coming from. Absolutely. Um, I'm just for myself. I constantly am pushing myself. Um, I think maybe demoting me was a little too much. Um, the whole reason that had happened is because we were understaffed Mm -hmm. and if I had more staff and more people, then I wouldn't have been working 85 hours a week. Uh, so I don't know. It was a little extreme. I understand where he's coming from. He meant what best for me, of course. Um, when I gave him my notice, he, I don't think he was very shocked. Um, so I finished the year. I actually ended my year there, December 31st or whatever, um, and then I actually went to Vita Cantina and was a line cook there for a little bit. And then I was hired as executive chef of Bad Labs in Summersworth. Okay. Um, which is a situation where um, an owner is not a chef. Um, it's actually the owner of um, Kiato, okay. like Chevrolet and all yep. that. Um, I was there. It just never really landed right. Um, I helped build that kitchen too. Um, but I actually left before it even opened. Okay. Um, and that's when I went to Jay McSherry and he actually reached out to me and asked me to be the executive chef. I'm not surprised there. And that's usually, (laughs) he's, he's great at following talent. He's great at creating opportunity Mm -hmm. where opportunity is needed. Um, so any key lessons from opening or any, I mean, I really want to get into the Jay McSherry because I'm such a fan. I still, he's on my list of, of potential guests. Oh um, yeah, you should definitely. I know he doesn't like to do interviews though. He's no. hard to lock down. He no. really is, but I'm going to stay persistent. He might not sit this long for you. I know. <laughs> Maybe we can do it standing. Um, so, I mean, w- what was new about your experience with uh, Jay McSherry's restaurants? Just for, so people understand, uh, Vita Cantina is also a Jay McSherry family yep. restaurant co-owned with Dave, uh, David Vargas, past guest on the show. He's also behind Moxie, which is in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. He's behind Franklin Oyster House, who was behind Dos Amigos. He's also, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Yeah, I've, I've kind of lost track at this mm-hmm. point. Real Penny, Pascas on the show. Yeah, Ornell's. Ornell's. And all these restaurants, I mean, he. it seems like most of the people that go to open these restaurants with him worked in one of his restaurants first. At the point in time, yeah. And then they, he created a new concept based off of what their visions were and what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's definitely accurate. Um He's definitely the the money behind a lot of it, and um, he's not scared to use it. And um, he's he's amazing. He loaned us here um, some money to get us through this situation. Um, he's a very generous man. Um, once you basically step foot into his realm, you pretty much will always be a part of it. So me leaving Row 34 and going to Vita Cantina as a line cook is where that started it all for me. Okay. Um, 
So when I had left Vita for this new opportunity as executive chef of Bad Labs, it didn't really work out. And he like reached out and was like, how's that going? I was like, ironically, it's not going very well. He said, well, come here. So Come here was Jumpin' Jays. Yes. Where you were for two years, three years? Uh, two and a half, I think, before I completely left to so be here. We've covered a lot as far as the, the, your evolution, what you've learned, some key lessons along the way. Anything that was new about what they do in their businesses that was unique for you? Um, I think we kind of addressed some of it already is the, yeah. the creating opportunity for others, spending money to help others, how it comes back around. But what else? Um, yeah, just having that circle of network with your employees and um, if there's not a spot for them there, create one somewhere else. And he's very good at that. Um, you know, there's been s- situations at Jumping Jays where I actually decided to let people go because it wasn't the right fit for them. But we found them place somewhere else within this company mm-hmm. or his company, not mine. Um, and that's where it's, you know, the generosity comes from with him. Um, he's a very unique person. He has a very uh, particular personality, um, but he's great. He's a very good person to have on your back. Yeah. Sure. Uh, what about operationally? Do they do anything differently? Um, not really. Um, I would. It was not different in any way of anywhere else I've been. I kind of feel like, not to like harp on myself, but I feel like me coming there helped set a lot of standards and um, structure. Maybe. What was the structure that wasn't there before you came on board? Um. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's weird talking about your past employers who have been so great to you, you know. Um, But is there like one thing that you think you did that kind of elevated that operation without throwing anybody under the bus? Um, I can't per se say exactly the things, but just like putting the systems in there and documenting it. Like I do, I do my daily food costs every day. Mm, Why is that so important? Um, To know where your money's going, to know constantly realizing price changes and things like that. I could tell you the price of, you know, hair covers today. Yeah. Um, so that's my strength and that's what I kind of brought to that team. And when I actually sat down with Jay my first month and he told me my food costs and I was like, well, no, I know what my food cost is. And I down to the decimal and he's like, how'd you know that? I was like, cause I do it myself. <laughs> and he was, he was flabbergasted for sure. Yeah, see, he said I was the first chef he's ever had do that. Wow. Um, so I implemented that. And when I left, I actually gave the next chef my diagrams and everything and I set them up and I'm pretty sure they still use it today. Where did you get those diagrams and assets? Row 34. Do you know where they got those assets? Um, I don't really know. Um, the chef that had trained me from Boston kind of set, set me up with it, and I made sure it was okay that I walked away with it, and it was. And I, everywhere else I've gone, I've yeah. implemented also. I was curious if the answer was going to be restaurantowner.com because it is an no. incredible resource. I know a lot of people do go there to get these foundational assets, um, but you seem pretty adamant that that's not where you went. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Um, they made it definitely seem like they had come up In-house. with it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I will say um, restaurantowner.com is a great place to start if you're looking for those systems. Cool. And I, I collaborated with Rudy Mick, a consultant on a costing and profit 101 class. If you guys are interested in learning more about that, I cool. highly recommend what he teaches. Uh, just head over to restaurantunstoppablenetwork.com. You'll find the course there. Uh Anything else? I'm trying to think about what we dropped on us so far. I think we're. I think we got to the point where it's time to talk about stock. 
It's been, it's been long <laughs> enough, right? It's been long uh, enough. So <laughs> what, I mean, Jay McSherry is such a great group of restaurants. Um, he creates opportunities. Brother, your, your restaurant is in an old Jay McSherry space, mm-hmm. Dos Amigos. Uh, I'm curious as to why, why you didn't go into business with him because that seems to be the pattern. Yeah, it, I definitely am the one against the grain. Um, uh, so how it all got me here basically is I had decided that I wanted to open up my own restaurant. I had found my business partner, which who John Daniels, um, he's actually been a pastry chef for me Okay. all over. Um, he was a pastry chef at uh, Martingale Wharf in the Rosa. I hired him at row 34 and then I hired him at Jumping Jay's. So I had always had this dream of opening up my own restaurant and he had always had the same thing. And we just like one day started talking about it early in the morning because he's there in the mornings and I'm prepping by myself and it kind of just blossomed and it turned into this, what it is today. So um, once I knew I was really doing it and we were looking at actual um, lots in this area, I went to Jay and I told him, I gave him my notice and he's like, oh, what's your, what's your plan? And said, honestly, I'm going to try to open up my own restaurant. And he was like, oh, with who? Kind of like astonished that I hadn't asked him. Um, He's like, you know how this works. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like you have to ask me first. Um, And I said, no, I do have a business partner. It is John, just so you know, because you're going to lose John too, obviously. Um, And he's like, oh, well, have you found a place? And I said, no, actually, we've been looking. We, We looked at the Foster's building right down the street here. And he's like, oh, well, on the DL, on the very low, I'm going to be closing Dover Dos Amigos. And I said, oh, okay. And he's like, would you want to go check it out? And here I am. <laughs> so, I mean, even even if he's not getting a piece of the pie, like he's he's still selfless in the sense that he's going to help you find a spot, right? He is benefiting from it because he, now he has a buyer for his restaurant, right? Yes. So we bought the restaurant as a whole and he owns this condo. So he gotcha. is my landlord. Gotcha. So he is getting something out of it. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah. So it's a win-win situation, but yeah. I think that's what it's all about is, I mean, creating win-win situations. In this scenario, he still wins because yeah. he has a new tenant. Right. So yep. he's still generating cash flow for himself. And a tenant he already knew. Yeah. So it's not like, you know. And a tenant he's know he knows is gonna be successful. Yeah. Right. So he got prime real estate on you in your skill set here. Mm-hmm. Even though oh, oh. little dinger right there. I don't know if <laughs> yeah. you guys are gonna hear that on the audio. This <laughs> nailed my elbow on whatever it's is this a heater? Yeah, it's a oh, radiator. That's funny. Um so that makes sense. That all, that all comes together now. Uh, so reflecting, so I think it's worth pointing out. You guys opened when in February 2020? Uh, January 23rd of 2020. January 2020. We two months, a little less weeks. than two months before everything shut down. Yeah, seven weeks to the day. Um, before we get into that, I think it's still worth, because up to this point, you had to go through the motions of opening a restaurant. Oh, yes. Right? So and you didn't know what was coming. So <laughs> yeah. any lessons about opening a restaurant. I know you had experience opening other restaurants, which, which probably set you up for success. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing the landlord so well probably set you up for success. Mm-hmm. What were the benefits of that? Get into like why or you know that process of opening. Were there any things that, that you would have done differently? Oh, it was, it was a little bit of a train wreck, to be really? honest. Really? Okay, get um, into it. Yeah, so you know, opening up these other restaurants on somebody else's money is much different than your own. Um, And also those buildings were like brand new and they were being built out with 
a lot of investment and money behind it. So here, you know, it's John and myself. Um, my father um, loaned me mother money. And my grandmother lent me money, um, which I am paying back almost there. Um, so. So did you go strictly friends and family? Mm-hmm, on my end. Yeah. Um, not quite sure how John did it, but we both invested the same amount of money. Okay. My mine came from my family. Um, so it's my responsibility to pay out of my own pocket basically. Gotcha. Um, so, but opening here, it's a old building. Um, it was Dos Amigos. So it was bright pink and green and orange and there was stickers on everything. And, um, we had a huge blowout with our plumbing situation. Um, that was a train wreck. Oh my God, it was so bad. Um, so it wasn't easy. It took a lot longer than we expected. You don't typically want to open a restaurant in January. Mm-hmm. Um, we were hoping for October. <laughs> um, Only four months off, three yeah. months. It's really not that bad. And when it's you... really not that bad. And it actually is very common. No one opens up when they're saying they're going to. No. Within a few months is still doing something really impressive in my yeah. opinion. If you're within a six months, you're doing all right. Yeah. And we, we had to gut this place. Um, the only thing that is still the same is the floor. Um, we decided to wait on it because it's not horrible. It's not the best, um, but maybe one day it'll get fixed. <laughs> so was there, at what level was this thing turnkey? Was it any of the kitchen stuff that you, are you still using or do you pull all the old stuff out? Um, so we bought everything basically. Um, we got rid of three low boys, I believe. Yeah. Three low boys. There was like a little kegerator here that's still in my basement. If you want to buy it, $300. Uh, it. <laughs> we'll have contact information at the end of the episode. Keep Perfect. Going. <laughs> my husband would be so excited. Um, yeah. So for the most part, we kept everything. Um, we have the downstairs. It's the same length of this, but it's only five feet tall. So I'm the only person who can stand up downstairs. Everyone kind of has to hover. Uh, it's very hot down there. Um, but like our walk-ins down there and it's basically a Dos Amigos graveyard still okay. to this day. <laughs> um, so there's like a frozen margarita machine down there. Also could sell that. Um, so all in all, you know, we had to gut it. We had to build up a second bathroom, which was a huge thing. Um, we weren't hoping we would have to do because um, the restaurant's so small, but you know, city of Dover gets to say what they want. So was it, was Dos Amigos grandfathered into the one bathroom rule? I guess so. Um, it still doesn't make very much sense to me how it's explained, but once again, like you can't fight city officials. <laughs> yeah. It's not worth it. Yeah. So we just built a bathroom, there you go. um, which is nice. Cause when we are busy thinking that if we had the one bathroom, it would be a long line sometimes. I bet the ladies got the brand new bathroom. <laughs> they did. Yeah. How's it always work out that way? <laughs> I made sure of it. <laughs> um, so reflecting back, anything that you kind of wish you knew that you learned the hard way that you would have done differently knowing what you know after you opened? Um, all the sweat, uh, sweat, blood and tears. I don't know. Um, the whole plumbing situation was really horrible. I wish I had known a little bit more about what we were walking into. Was there any way you could have known more? Um, well, I should have educated myself better um, before it. But the part that was the really shitty part about it is I actually ended up hiring someone that was uh, not legally licensed. Um, I found out after he had done all the work and then couldn't get a permit to get it checked because ah. he didn't have a license. So we were now down six grand 
for no reason and had to hire another plumber and they basically ripped out everything he had done and that ended up being $20,000. So um, that experience in itself makes you say double check everything before you hire contractors. So spe- like specifically, how do you know? Like, Do you, do you ask for their license? Do you like ask them to, yeah, to present it? Is our, that the best thing to do? Yeah, ask them for their license and then you can check it online to make sure it's valid or up to date. Um, I just didn't think I had to do that. I didn't really realize there's people out in the world that are just trying to make that much money and run away from it. I think too, I think we, when we're looking at the bill and all this stuff too, we, we have a tendency to go with the lowest option sometimes. And that's where we screwed up is that we were like, Oh, this guy's cheaper. If something (laughs) is considerably cheaper that there might be a reason why. Yeah. That might be a red flag. Yeah. Um, if it's lower than it should be, then maybe start asking for licenses. Yeah. 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 Uh, anything else? Um, so John and I and our spouses, um, basically did everything ourselves besides the carpentry work. Um, my brother-in-law did the carpentry work. So he's the one who built the bathroom. He built the bench. He built this bar, um, which was actually donated to us by a, um, Dover resident. It is the old ticket booth from the oh, cool. uh, train station. Nice. And they said that we could have it for free as long as it stayed in Dover. That's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. And then you get a little nostalgia too. Yeah. I so like when it gets dented and nicked up, it kind of hurts a little bit, but you know, we did the countertop ourselves. Well, John and Nate did it. I didn't do that. Um, and then John is definitely the person you want to give props to for the decorating. Um, I'm don't really have that eye in me. Um, so more like the labor part. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that makes sense as a pastry chef. They yeah. Gen, they tend to be cosmetic. Yeah. yeah. For it was really great. Like he chose to do the bar like that and it's beautiful and it took a long time. Um, but I did all the painting. I'm definitely the painter in the group, um, that took six gallons of paint, uh, in a very long time. Yeah. So what was your vision for the restaurant? What were you trying to be from day one? Um, we had actually, when we first decided to do this, we were going to try to do lunch and dinner. So John would be like the pastry chef and do the cafe kind of lunch part of it and bake all the breads and things like that. And that I would be the night chef basically. And putting kinda, stuff in between bread. Yeah, exactly. Putting <laughs> the stuff in between the bread. Um, but then we landed here and this place is far too small to do two shifts. Um, it would be impossible. Mm-hmm. So we you know, straight away from that. Um, John works with me all day. Um, it is definitely a 50, 50 partnership kind of situation. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not how we started, but I don't think any true plan ever ends exactly how it's intended. So for people who are listening to this, who want to do a breakfast or sorry, a lunch and dinner type concept, Mm -hmm. um, what are the things that are the governor on that, which dictates whether or not you do have the space? Like, Cause you said you knew right away that you couldn't do that, but what are the less obvious things that make it then space is just physical space, not having enough space for your cost of goods. Uh, yeah, that too. Like our walk-in right now is full and we yeah. only have service for four hours a day. So if we had service for, you know, six to eight to 12, it would be impossible in that manner. Um, and then also the kitchen is very small. So, you know, it's only six burner range. It's a very small griddle, a grill. I do not have a fry later here. I have two low boys and that's it. And if I was to do lunch, you would need somewhere to prep Yeah. and can't prep if people are cooking on the line. Yeah. So right now, like my 
typically my sous chef, one of my only other chefs here, uh, Carlos, he preps on the low boy. So if we were having lunch service, he would have nowhere to prep until service. So it's just, it, it would never work. So just being mindful, I think the big thing I'm picking up is like, what has to happen? Like, like write out your day step by step of all the things that have to happen for you to get to where you want to be. And can you actually accomplish that in the physical space before, you know, signing the lease or buying yeah. the space? Like it, make sure it can do what you want it to yeah. do. Yeah. So when, before we landed this place, I had designed a kitchen, my ideal kitchen from scratch. Um, so when we were looking at places, we were looking at that fitting in that spot. Um, which was a huge production, like to have a restaurant with, you know, a hundred seats, 160 seats, a kitchen big enough to function that, um, that's way more employees. It's a lot going on. Um, so thinking about that now, if I was doing that right now, I'd probably be a lot less happy. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Any other things that you learned the hard way, like going through this process for the first time or first time you actually owning it? Um, uh, learning how to deal with COVID—that was fun. So I, we can get into that, and it's—it's—I'm it's, I'm sure because it's a huge part of your story. And I know that if you opened your restaurant within, I think was it two months from the beginning, of, or like a some it was like September of 2019 or something like that. Yeah. So we bought this place in September of 2019. We opened January 23rd, 2020. We closed March 15th of 2020, and then we did like a couple of weeks of takeout um, in May at the end of it. And then we reopened for dine in and patio June 4th. Okay. 2020, 2020. So I think the point I was making is that you weren't, you didn't qualify for any financial aid. No. So that was a big thing is that, um, we had no history basically. We had no payroll in 2019. I think you had to be open before September of 2019 to be eligible for the PPP. Yep. Yep. So we actually ended up getting a small PPP, very small one, because they worked with us on history in 2020. Um, But it was so minute that, you know, money's money. Don't get me wrong. I'm thankful for it. Um, But it wasn't anything substantial. Did you know the folks down the street, Diverge, Shambooth, was going through the same exact thing? Yeah. Uh, Hopefully you guys were a support group for each other. Yeah, (laughs) TJ is awesome. Um, When actually the first week that everyone had to close, um, all of us met together at Diverge and we just like, what do we do? What are we doing, guys? How (laughs) are we going to get through this? Um, Yeah, it was Nova from Adele's. It was TJ. It was me and John. um, Sky and Ben from Chapel and Main. Like, it was just all of us and City Beer Works was there, um, and we we're all just like, "This is a lesson in itself." Community. <laughs> yes, it's it's for some reason I think people who you don't have to go it alone, and there's definitely been a trend I picked up on. All the folks that are at the top of the game in their community are all friends with each other, and mm-hmm. a lot of times people look at that and they go, "Oh, I'm not in the click." You have to be a part of the click to be successful in this town. Have you tried to be a part of the click? Have you reached out? Have you, you know, introduced yourself? Like these people generally are very welcoming in like you, in all those people who come together and share knowledge and support each other rise to the top. Mm-hmm. Is that what's happening in Dover? Um, yeah, I would say more like the seacoast, not mm-hmm. just Dover. Um, that's for me being here is what makes the seacoast so unique than anywhere else that I've ever worked or been is, is the community and like the camaraderie between all us local chefs and restaurateurs. Like it's, there's nowhere else like it. It's, it's crazy. Um, 
especially when this all happened, like we are all outsourcing to each other, asking questions like, what are you doing? How are you surviving this? What's your plan? Like you could do that. I could pick up my phone and call any one of those chefs and they would be willing to talk to me Mm -hmm. and help me through. And I did, you know, I, I reached out to Lee Frank who owns Otis and Exeter and cause he was doing this like fried chicken thing for takeout and it like blew up. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, let me know. Is it (laughs) worth me doing takeout? Like, should I even employ someone through that? Like, I I don't know what to do. Um, so what did you guys end up doing? Um, You, you, you told us a little bit, but yeah, so we did, uh, like takeout for the weekend only, but it was like a set menu every week. So they would have to like pre order it. Like, so we weren't coming here and making extra food and then throwing it out. That was our worries. Like yeah. we're going to come here and make all this food and then no one buys it. Then we're just losing more money. Secretly. I think that the COVID is there's a silver lining that it forced a lot of old antiquated business models mm. out the door. Yeah. You really had to learn how to change it up. Yeah. And I think, I hope I encourage you if you're listening to this, that you can do different things other than what we're, we're used to of the full service, you know, 10% is doing good yeah. margins. Like you can have membership models. You can do takeout, like you can do things you can do. Like there's just different ways, different revenue structures, like mm-hmm. having like buy before you pick it up, you yeah. know, like that pre-orders. kind of pre-orders or just if it's membership. Um, did you change your, your business model at all? Yeah. Because of this? That was so after a, when we first closed, I was like, oh, don't worry. It's going to be three weeks. Three weeks will be open. It's, it's a little vacation after yeah. opening this place and how hard that was. I was like, it'll be fine. And then, you know, one month went by and then it turned into three. And I was like, okay, shit. Here we are two what years are later. We, yeah, <laughs> what do we do? Um, so, yeah, me and John had to sit down and we had to accept the fact that we had to change our business model. Um, so doing takeout friendly food because our food is not takeout friendly. It just wasn't meant to be um we didn't want it to be what was on like your opening menu to give us an example um my chicken roulette (laughs) (laughs) um just a lot of food food that we make here takes a long time to do Mm -hmm. my day here starts at 9 a.m i don't leave here until 11 p.m and that's just for four hours of service so if that gives you a sense of like how much love and quality of time and work goes into our food that's it um, so doing that for takeouts, like, come on, I'm not going to do that for takeout. So you have to, you know, realize that you got to do more comfort food that's meant to go in a box for 30 minutes until they get home. Yeah. And how much were you set up for success with your technology stack? Cause you didn't open this restaurant thinking to yourself that you're going to need technology for takeout and delivery, right? Yeah. So what platform did you go with? Did you have to change or do anything, make any changes? Um, we had to make changes, but luckily, so we have toast as our POS system here. Is that what you opened with? Um, yeah. And luckily they were on the ball when this happened and within like three weeks they were like, here, this is what we're going to do. And yeah, they upped their game and the takeout part of it's so easy and so easy on our end and so easy for the guests to do. Um, so luckily like choosing toast was a great idea. I'm not sure how other systems have been doing it. Um, but toast is great. Yeah. They kind of, if you had toast at the beginning, they had a system for you that Mm -hmm. you could just implement. Yep. Um, what about, so your menu changes, is your menu smaller now? Um, it was for most of last year. Um, we went down to very minimized menu, um, once we reopened, um, and then we actually decided to close again in November of 2020 and only do takeout 
three days a week in the winter. Okay. Why did you make that decision? Um, so we, the city worked with us to give us our patio, which is our three parallel parking spots right here. Um, so during the summer we had a full restaurant because it was still limited seating. So when we close, when we lost the patio, it's like, we're going to have 17 seats inside. Like, can I really employ people for that? I could have one bartender and like one very part-time server. And are they going to make enough money? Like, so it was just like, the deciding factor in being like, okay, let's close. Let's do takeout Thursday to Saturday. We'll employ one employee, which is Carlos. He's been with us since day one. Um, and that's it. It was just John, I, and Carlos. And we just worked three days a week. And, you know, it kind of gave – it gave me time to get a job because <laughs> I hadn't been paying myself. Yeah. I, I went almost two years without a paycheck. Um, so me and my husband were financially struggling very hard. Um, Your husband was in the industry too. Uh, he got out. Okay. So my husband built scaffolding for my dad now. Gotcha. Um, so he can run that business basically. Um, Good thing construction was taken off. This oh, year. he never stopped. <laughs> yeah. Never stopped. Um, so what were we saying? We were talking about my the uh, no. You you were talking about how you kind of shift things and why you decided to close, and then now you're back open 100. percent Yeah, and we are 100% capacity. Um, There are days we close tables and take bar seats away, but that's our decision now. It's not being like, you know, the state or CDC is telling us to do so. Um, And that's just because we're understaffed, and the quality of service is very important to us, and I do not want to jeopardize it by having a server take eight tables. Yeah. It's not worth it. Yeah, I've seen a restaurant where there was one person working, bartending, cooking, and serving. Yeah, that's absurd to ask of somebody. They were the owner. <laughs> well, that, they, and they, that I get. And they just opened. They just opened, and it's just, it's crazy what's happening out there right now. And honestly, I don't blame people for not wanting to come back to this industry right now mm-hmm. because I I think about having to wear a mask all day oh, in a restaurant, horrible. and I wouldn't want to do it. So you can't expect people. I think it's kind of getting out of control. Yeah, it and it is. And now that we're to the point where it's really your option to wear one or not, like it's up to you. I, yeah, that's great. You know, I just I know that I would hate to wear a mask all day. Um, yeah, work I, over a 500 degree grill. And yeah, mask on. It's it's gross. I don't understand the significance. I'm not undermining the, the importance of the mask. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, of like, there's a certain point where I don't know. I think we probably I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want don't my want opinions. Upset. I don't want to upset anybody. Um, but I just think it's unfair to ask of anybody, you know, mm-hmm. um, at Definitely. this point. But I guess we talked a lot about um, I don't want to get so much into like the nitty gritty of COVID because I, I really I hope I'm not jinxing it. I hope we never have to go through mm-hmm. this like we did. And even if we do have to go through it again, I feel like we got such a good trial run, yeah. you know, that we'll Kinda be better prepared. Do. But I'm curious about like why or what is different about your business now and what would be different going into the future because of COVID and how you evolve and how you plan on staying different because of the new future or this new normal. Um, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> the new normal. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's gross. <laughs> uh, um, um, I guess it's for, for John and I, like I can't really speak on his behalf, but it gave us some time to like slow back down and like really think about our, our, our guidelines, I guess, and like how we implement our operations and, um, really slow down and like give our second self to breathe. Cause you know, the build out took so long and it's like, we got to open, like we got to make some type of money here. Yeah. Um, 
so you're just running full force into a door, you know what I mean? And you're like, let's open, and you're doing it, and it's great. And some things fell by the wayside, like we weren't doing pre-meal every day, which is like super important to me as a chef. And I was upset at myself for not having the time. Like I had yeah. no time yeah. whatsoever. And I think it's important to understand that perception is reality. Whatever you're doing is the culture of your business. Whatever's yeah. happening today is your culture. Mm-hmm. So you can't say like, this is what we're going to do. And then have that be your culture. It's what's happening today. Yeah. Every day. That's your culture. So when you're not doing these things, that that's the reflection of the reality of your situation. Yeah. Right. So I think it's important. To, it's good to have goals, but it's another thing to actually execute on those things. So yeah. To I, I, do them. <laughs> yeah. So I feel, I feel what you're saying right now. Yeah. So when did you get those things back? Are you, are you doing those? Yeah. Every day now? Second round around, uh, much better. Yeah. And I don't like really know like what changed to make that happen, but it just did. And I feel like we're much more functional all around. Not that we weren't in the beginning, but like, it's like we got a second chance to do it all over again. And we really did. We got to open up all over again. Um, and we did a lot better this time. I know you you can't, it's hard. You said you can't think of a specific thing, but like you're doing more regular pre-meal Meetings. Yeah, pre-meal every day. Did you improve your systems? Did you like work on your operations manual? Yeah, things like that. Um, you know, getting time to like dive back into like how it all started and re re-reading like our employee manual and being like, how did I miss that? Like, what, what were some of the things that you were missing? Uh, just just realizing like it was just out of dated and even I don't even know like. Like a lot has changed. Like we had uniforms when we first opened. We don't have now. Like that's not a big deal. But it's just like making sure that you're constantly updating. And that means everything. Um, And, you know, just keeping everybody on the same loop as you. So doing something like pre-meal. It's really important to have your team like take a second, sit down, talk about it. Talk about what we're going to do today. What's different about today. um, Why we're here. Why we love this job. um, Just little things like that. It really creates a stronger team. It reinforces the culture too. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I always go to the Hertz Schultze from um, the Ritz Carlton, a past Mm -hmm. guest on the show. Uh, and they have their 24 standards of service. And at the beginning of every shift, they go through one of those standards and they, and they talk about that standard. But when you, what you do is when you block time to talk about what's important to you, Mm -hmm. that stuff resurfaces every day and it it stays top of mind, you know, and that's so, so important. Um, Jared and I do a weekly meeting where the whole purpose of our weekly meeting is just to be on the same page. Mm -hmm. And even though we weren't able to connect this morning to do it together, like I still did it. Yes. Because like, cause, like, it's important to get into those habits and those routines. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, anything that we haven't discussed about your business, things you learned the hard way, uh, things that we haven't discussed that you were hoping to discuss before we start talking a little bit about the future and then we wrap up for the speed round? Um, not in particular. You know, networking and learning like your partnerships are really important and realizing who you're getting in business with and, you know, um, you know, Jay McSharry being our landlord, like I'm sure that's helps tremendously. Yeah. And realizing like something so might seem so insignificant is actually significant. Yeah. And just having the sympathy of another restaurant owner and knowing Mm -hmm. what you're going through as a landlord must've been huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, one of the things I want to start being better about is talking about the industry, the state of the industry. The mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. So we you know, we do the inspiring by sharing your story and sharing your knowledge is you know the empowerment. But 
what in your opinion needs to change about our industry? If you could see anything change in our industry, like what do you want the future of this industry to look like? Uh, here and still existing would be great. Um, I think where we are today, even after all this craziness, um, it, it's really nice to see where we've all ended up as restaurant owners. Um, the camaraderie between all of us, um, being able to lend a helping hand wherever we can has become huge now more than it ever has. Um, and I just hope that that continues on and it only gets stronger. Um, yeah, I just want to always see it progressing. Yeah. And you, you made some comments early in, in the, the conversation about your, the changes you want to see or the, the issues in the past with equal rights and just sexual harassment in general. Um, what has to change in the industry for that to get better? Um, <laughs> I don't know. People not being horrible. Um, no, I don't. It's. Well, I mean, just I know you're kidding, but like at the same you're not kidding about things needing to change. But, you know, people not being horrible. I think that we forget that it's our job to give people emotional and like social skills. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. So what does that look like? Um, being supportive to people and, and, you know, when someone is doing something wrong, actually addressing it and saying it out loud, um, pointing the finger at it when it is truly wrong uh, versus just being closing your eyes or turning your head. You know, if you do see things like that, someone should be speaking up, Yeah. whether it's the victim or a you know, coworker or owner or anything. It's just, I feel like for so long it was so easy for everyone to just pretend it yeah. wasn't happening. And I, I mean, and it's so, so it sounds so counterintuitive just to say that the, the victim can be doing something, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think it's important to let the, the people who are victims know that they can say something and they should say mm-hmm. something. And I think that's part of the battle too, is if, if you, if somebody's making comments towards you, and you don't want those comments or you don't, if you're not receptive of that, mm-hmm. maybe they have some kind of issue where they can't pick up on it necessarily. Unless you say, yeah, I'm not interested. Yeah. You have right? to say it. Um, and, and, and again, victims. So like, I'm not saying like shame on you victim, but at the same time, like encouraging people to feel like they can say something yeah. I think is really important. Yeah. And, and I feel like it is happening. You know, people are realizing that they can say no. Um, cause something might an interaction might happen where one person thinks it's a joke and the other person doesn't and the conversation has to happen where you and communicate that yeah, yeah you have to communicate that hey i know you thought that was funny or whatever but i don't feel comfortable yes. with that um and that's all you have to do but that takes a lot of balls and if you document <laughs> that too you know that's the other part if you say something and there's another person that's an earshot now you have a witness yeah you know that they another it. exactly you know um, so it's really important that you speak up. Absolutely. Um, and I think also setting the precedence early on in your business that this is non-negotiable, that this is not oh, what we yeah. do, yeah. you know, and, and making people sign. Mm-hmm. So if it does happen, they, you have yeah. the means to remove that person who's not being appropriate. Yeah. Right. Um, I've really loved this conversation. Again, the mission is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. We talked about what needs to transform in the industry, but how have you transformed personally? Who are you today? Who's Chef Nicole today versus Chef Nicole when you were, you know, still wet behind the ears? Uh, um, a lot stronger than I was, that's for sure. Um, I've gone through 
systems of, uh, not systems, like steps of my chefdom, if that's what you want to call it, um, you know, getting to the point where I was actually a title and actually a chef. Um, and I was a brute, like in the beginning, I, I was stern, but that's the way I was taught. And that starting there and being the hard boss at first taught me how to be the softer boss now. Um, so going through those steps and learning that part of it and now learning now truly being able to say, I am my own chef and not having someone telling me how to manage my crew. Um, I'm a lot more of a delicate flower, <laughs> at least now. I, I don't know if that's my age. So, I think or what. no. I think it's. A, I think it's. That's one of the things that's happening and transforming in the industry right now. Is like we are a lot more delicate. You mm-hmm. know, we are more understanding, and we have to be because we don't have people you know pouring out of our ears like we used to. Yeah. You know? so. and, and that for me is upsetting at times when I have to baby a situation per se quote unquote or um or baby an employee now because it's it's like almost like you're scared of losing them but is that right to baby someone through a situation just because you don't want to lose them like Mm -hmm. that's frustrating for me as an owner or as a boss or a manager is that you shouldn't have to do that but I feel like that's the world we live in now and I'm hoping we can get past that. I don't yeah. know if it's the generation behind mine or what, but I'm hoping like these new kids being born today, like parents, like teach them how to be tough, teach <laughs> yeah. them how to take it because yeah. this industry will die if we only have kids coming in yeah. who can't take a slap on the wrist. Awesome stuff. I've loved this conversation. One more quick break to thank our, sp- our sponsors. We're going to bust out a true speed round <laughs> so I can respect your time. Yo, Unstoppables, I want to use this ad space to let you know about an affiliate relationship I have with the company Mies. Actually, Mies has been a past sponsor, but they've adopted this really great affiliate program, and I want to give it a shot. But here's the thing. I won't get credit for your referral unless you use my specific, special, unique link. And that link is getmees.com slash unstoppable. So if you listen to this ad and you want Mies, make sure you use that link. And instead of actually uh, recording a new ad, I really liked the first one I did with them. So I'm just going to roll it and uh, let the ad work. It's magic. Here it is. Here are four reasons why you need Mies in your restaurant. One, it's the most accurate recipe costing tool on the planet. Never again waste time trying to find yields and converting unit measures or creating extra sub recipes just to account for yield updates because Mies has a database of thousands of ingredients and prep actions with yields and conversions built right into the interface. So you get immediate output of your costs and your conversions. That's huge. Number two, you will train your staff the right way and save countless hours your team sees in real time updates of all the recipe content plus you can send notifications and answer questions directly through me's quickly and easily create slideshows with video and image so you can show your team exactly what they need when they need it here's the third reason why you need me's in your restaurant you will reduce waste and execute with consistency me's enables you to make precisely the amount of food you need and that's because every ingredient has automated unit conversions Tell Mies how many portions you want, 
Watch your recipe scale automatically. Tell me how much yield you want. Watch it scale automatically. You can even enter the amount of ingredients you have on hand and then watch the recipe scale automatically. Here's the fourth and final reason why you need Mies in your restaurant. It organizes and shares your content like never before. Mies is like Google Drive specifically for the culinary operation. Here's your call to action. Go to getmees. That's M-E-E-Z dot com slash unstoppable and make sure you mention restaurant unstoppable when signing up to get three free months when you get the annual business plan get on it we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success oh man um being stern with people (laughs) (laughs) okay i'll take it and no one everyone knows not to fuck with me basically okay i gathering respect yeah i'll say that yeah. what is your biggest weakness um asking for help mm. i like to do everything myself how are you overcoming that um learning to well i do delegate but like i don't know i just have to constantly remind myself that i don't have to do it all mm-hmm. what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team um where's their passion lie um, and where does it come from? I think that's the most important thing for me, as long as they're passionate. About something or any... or Something that's a part of this industry. Okay. Like, that is not just a job. Yeah. Um, what is your biggest challenge today? Uh, free time. How are you overcoming that? Uh, I'm not. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I hear you. It's tough. Uh, what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a core value, a way to be. Um, respect to your coworkers. Um, and once again, not only myself being a shoulder to cry on, but being there for your, your coworkers, it makes, it makes a family oriented restaurant. And that's what we are here by far. We're a family. What does respect look like? <sighs> oh, it comes in all kinds of forms, millions and millions of forms. Okay. <laughs> what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that's common within the four walls of your restaurant that you do to go above and beyond for the guests, but not common throughout the industry. Uh, guests. Uh, we call our guests, guests here, a lot of restaurants call them customers. Um, we consider this restaurant a house and we're welcoming guests into our home for a really great experience. And that's how I want our employees to perceive the people walking through the door. I love it. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner? Oh, I don't know. Um, Marco Perry white is kind of like my guy. Yeah. Um, white heat. Yeah. White heat for sure. Um, Jeremy Sewell gave me that book and yeah, it was eye-opening for me. Yeah. yeah, a great, great book. And it's on audio as well. You can get that book if you go to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. i got to remind people to use <laughs> yeah, these links. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, it's, it's, you got to keep it top of mind. Uh, in name one service you've – actually, I skipped a question. Jared, you know what to do. One thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Restaurant tours do well enough or often enough? Um being part of the team and jumping in wherever need be doing any job that is asked of you. Um, it really deters your team when they don't think their boss will do what they will. Mm. And what is one service you've hired or outsourced? So when I say service, you hire not so much a technology service, but like a, a person or people 
that you outsource to do something that you can't do as good in house or like the streamlining process, maybe accounting or attorney or things along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely accounting for sure. Um, we do most of everything ourselves. Luckily, all the owners, um, we all have really great strengths here. So we don't have to outsource too much because we all have something we can bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would say accounting or something like that. Um, I'm not the numbers lady here. <laughs> that's not my jive. Um, that's more John's thing. And he kind of takes care of like the back office part of the stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's something very particular that comes to mind. Okay. Um, I am curious. Um, are you using accounting software? Uh, yes. Do you know which one? Is that John's <laughs> That's John's question? Thing. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, I'll skip that part then. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted within the four walls of your biz- your business that's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, marketing, anything along those lines? Um, technology that we adopted? Um, no. You're using a Resi, I noticed. Is there a reason why you went with Resi versus any of the other platforms? Um, we did do seven rooms, um, but we weren't happy with it. Why not? Um, it was just... It didn't have exactly everything we wanted, and it didn't seem to evolve at all. What did you want? Do you remember? Um, It's hard to remember because it wasn't like a normal year last year. Um, They also wanted us to continue paying not being open, which was kind of hard for us to decide on. Um, we like, I like Resi a lot, Um, and it's constantly updating and changing with how the times are changing. Um, just like Toast. Toast was on the ball about knowing, like, okay, it's a takeout world now. Let's yeah. make sure that our takeout game is really, really strong. And it is. Awesome. Um, this is the last question. Are you ready for it? <laughs> sure. It's a doozy. So I always give my, my guests a warning. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. Mm-hmm. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for your legacy what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Um, invest in your people for sure. Um, one. Yeah. Um, be the role model. Two. If I was to leave tomorrow, um, strong willed. Awesome. As an individual. Chef Nicole, I've loved this conversation. Awesome. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So that's how I found you. Chef George Bazanson called you out. Am I saying his name correctly? You I'm are. Always, You're I, working really hard. I am working. Like I'm right. so bad at last names. I'm just, I just choose <laughs> you, to you own it. You can see you like really I'm thinking like, about it. <laughs> he called you out. Uh, who do you respect and admire? And if you knew there were guests on the show, you'd be tuning in. Um. I would like to do a shout out to John Daniels, my partner. Um, uh, His story is unique and he hasn't really had a chance to say it. Um, So I would like to give him a little shout out. Sweet. Is he here? We can just keep this thing. (laughs) No, he's not here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I'm coming after you, Jay McSherry again. Don't you worry. Yeah, you got to get Jay. I got to get Jay on this list of people for sure. And uh, how can we connect with you if we are looking for a kegerator? 
uh, my cell phone number. No, uh, just call stock and uh, we'll take care of it. And that's stock in Dover, New Hampshire, stock yep. restaurant, Dover, New Hampshire, stockrestaurant.com. Yep. Any social handles you want to drop on us? Uh, stock like a vegetable, S T A L K. The stock of the, 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 like the trunk yeah. for a, a vegetable. A vegetable stock, <laughs> yeah. not a stock of soup. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. The first time I heard stock, I assumed you were like a fish restaurant or something. I think it's because I also saw a 30, row 34 yeah. and Jumpin' Jay's fish. Well, my whole career is fish. And then stock. <laughs> yeah. I just I made the assumption until I started digging. But Our guests call themselves stalkers now. S-T-A-L-K yep. restaurant. <laughs> Dot com. Uh, thank you so much, Chef Nicole. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you. Cheers. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here today. Special thanks to Nicole Nichella for coming on the show, sharing your story, sharing your mentorship, sharing your knowledge. Tons of great lessons learned today. And a special thanks to George Bazanson for helping us make this connection. And I'm really, again, I'm really pleased with how these past episodes have been coming out. I really love this mentality of keeping it organic and keeping it real, keeping it authentic and just raw, you know? Um, and I think that we actually have an issue in this industry with other industries trying to control our industry, specifically the media industries. Uh, I won't name names or say specifically which ones, but I just think that we need to kind of take control of our industry in it's almost a popularity contest. And I don't know. It's just like, I don't feel like all these media outlets should control who's successful, determine who's successful in our industry. So when you give the industry a voice and you let the industry decide who gets the spotlight and who the good people are and not just the people who have deep pockets and can pay for media. Um, it just, that's what we need. And I, I'm happy I can bring that to you guys and I hope you guys are enjoying it. I, I, I personally am super pleased with these past couple of episodes and we have some even better episodes coming at you. So as you heard, Nicole called out John Daniels, her business partner. I love getting those side-by-side interviews. Uh, they're actually going to be joining us live in the network on October 20th at 2 PM. So if you want to connect with Nicole and John, um, be sure to join the network before then. So this week was actually supposed to be a very busy week in the network. Uh, Donald Burns had a three-part workshop on menu engineering. Unfortunately, uh, he ran into some complications with a simple surgery. And I don't know that this is too personal, but it's the truth. So he has to reschedule. And that's a very valid reason to reschedule. Uh, but we still have a lot of interesting things going on in the network next week. Our book club next week, uh, the first Monday of every month we meet for our book club and the books we're covering over the next three months are going to be abundance. Uh, the future is better than you think bold, how to go big, create wealth and impact the world. And the future is faster than you think. All these books uh, are by Peter Diamandis uh, and Stephen Kotler. Um, I just really enjoyed these books. Uh, it's a glimpse into the future and how you can, kind of be prepared for the future and also just this mentality of abundance is something I, 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 I value very much and I want to bring you guys in on that. So we're going to cover each one of these books over the next three months. If you want to join us for conversation around these books, be sure to join the network. Also, uh, our last book, the first book we covered during the book club was atomic habits. And that book I think is so powerful. We actually spun another club out of that book. We're calling it the habit club. So that's basically once a month, we're going to get together. Uh, I think it's going to be the second Monday of every month. And we're just going to keep each other accountable to the habits we're trying to form. And it's, it's like a support group for people who are trying to improve and develop new habits. So if that's something that you think you'd be interested in again, join the network. It's a lot of fun. 
it's a uh, it's growing and it's it's a uh, I'm getting nothing but great feedback. So I'd love for you guys to be a part of it. All right, that's it for today. Until next time, peace out. <laughs>